letter that he's writing to defend the faith, but it is especially one of giving assurance. Every believer must have assurance and should have assurance. It is something that is given to us the moment that we are saved. And so he has talked about this over and over. We're going to look a little bit about that today and just to see some things that we should know and that we can know and really even that we must know. Let's read here verse 13 down through 21. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have, uh, that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, and we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now, there is a tremendous amount of stuff here kind of packed into the ending of this letter here that he's writing for them. Some things about assurance, some things that they can know, as well as some things to encourage them, and as well as some things to remind them as we look at something as simple as keep yourselves from idols, yet so profound and so important to them during these days. And we're going to look at that as we go through here. But let's focus in on verse 13 today. These things have I written unto you. Now let's first of all look at this. These things that I've written unto you. Well, what has he written, right? Uh, Jackman writes, These things must surely refer to the whole letter rather than simply to the immediate preceding sentences. When John began his letter, he expresses his purpose in writing to make our joy complete, chapter 1, verse 4. Now he shows us what the content of that joy is. It comes in seeing his dear children continuing in the faith, believing in the name of the Son of God, and rejoicing in the certainty of eternal life. Joy for the apostle, for his children, and for the Christians in every generation is found in the conscious experience of fellowship with God the Father through Jesus the Son within the community of his family, the church. Now, I know that seems like a mouthful, but what we find here is that the ultimate purpose of what he has given, the things that he has been writing, uh, he had begun there in chapter 1. Uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon with our hands, have handled the word of life, where the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which uh, was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Then he goes on to talk about having this assurance of knowing that we can have our sins forgiven. If we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He talks about walking with the Lord, knowing the Lord, abiding in the Lord, all of these things. So ultimately, if we're going to have uh, our joy, that as he says, I write these things unto you, that your joy may be full, well, the reason why many believers today don't have the joy of the Lord is not because they don't have the Lord or the Lord has changed, but rather because they have lost or left the simple basic truths that gives us assurance. 
we have often so overcomplicated Christianity and so overcomplicated the church and our, our own walks with the Lord that we have forgotten the simplicity of believing what God has already said and declared and walking by faith before Him. It, it truly is so simple. And so we overcomplicate so many things, but what happens in doing so is that the more things that we bring in is that we often overcrowd just simplistic faith in the Lord, trusting in His Word, trusting in who He is, trusting in what He's done. And what that does is that causes us to have doubts and discouragement. It causes us to have these issues, especially as what John saw, is that there were many who had left that stuff and had left the original teaching, had left the, the gospel, if you will, for these Gnostic principles and these higher learning or higher thoughts and, and things that seemed so secretive or so, well, that must be the truth. Well, the truth is only found in what God has done and revealed and given and spoken. And so as we look at this, these things, it is all encompassing of this whole letter as he's writing this up and, and wrapping this up, finishing this letter. He's saying, Look back at the simple truth. Look at what I've said. These things I've written, meaning chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, ultimately, as we're going to see in just a moment, is he's written these things to those that believe on the name of the Son of God. This is written to believers. That's why all throughout he calls them brethren, my dear children, right? You only say that to those who are in the faith. And he does this that they may know they have eternal life, all right? We can know it, and we should know it. First of all, as we look at these things, right? all the things that you must know, all the things that you must believe, all the things that you must practice or do, where do we find that? Certainly in the Bible. But even more so, it is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, our entire faith, our entire walk, our entire life and being is not centered around us doing X, Y, and Z, but rather on us trusting by faith on who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. And we find that wrapped up in the life and work and ministry, both in eternity past to eternity future in Jesus Christ. So what Christ has accomplished in coming to this world physically, literally, to die for our sins, to raise again literally, physically, uh, to offer eternal life to all those who would believe, that is where we find all of our hope. That's why we find our assurance. That's where we find our joy, where we find our peace. It was wrapped up in Christ and His atoning work for us. And even more so that now He makes intercession for us and that one day He's coming again. The early church firmly believed that Christ was going to return. Now, although John doesn't talk a whole lot about it, he does make mention of it several times. I believe in chapter 2 and chapter 3, about uh, the coming of the Lord, that we can have confidence, not just confidence in that He's coming, but confidence that when He does come, it will be found faithful, that confidence in what Christ has done, that that is full and final and enough to be able to stand before Him. Now John here, what he's doing in these writing these things unto them, unto us even today, is that he's giving an assurance to believers who are facing persecution from false teachers, or as he called them, Antichrist. And he's as well giving an apologetic to stand upon what they should know of God by faith. Ultimately, you don't have to be uh, the, the most intelligent one in the room, but what it comes down to is in this world of which we're living, where there are constant false teaching, constant false teachers everywhere, there are constantly those who are leaving the faith. Right now, 
we are facing this uh, pandemic of uh, deconstructing faith. There are a lot of people who are famous Christians, if you will, musicians, writers, even pastors, um, all sorts of things. And they're going through this thing and they're calling it deconstructing their faith to find out what they really believe. And what it comes down to is that ultimately they find that they never really believed in the first place. This is a sad reality because what we've got to do is we've got to understand the simplicity of the gospel. And we are finding that children are growing up and they're leaving the faith, they're leaving church left and right. And many of us would say, well, that's because you've got a couple of extremes. One that says, well, uh, they're leaving the church because the church is, is looked, just looks so old and we've got to change it to make it look young and then they'll come. Well, that doesn't quite work. It doesn't pan out. Nearly every time it happens that way. Then there's another crowd that says, well, if they left, they, grow, they got brought up in this church, so they'll eventually just come back to it, right? And we just won't worry about it. Well, that's kind of a dangerous thing as well. We've got to see that there's a, there's a deeper root than surface of how this one worships, if it's lively or music and drums and lights, or if this one is old-fashioned and, and maybe they'll eventually come back to it because, you know, that's what they grew up with. We've got to see that there's a deeper root, and that is whether or not an individual truly trusts Christ or not. The, the issue today with deconstructing faith, leaving the faith, those who are leaving, not just church, but leaving true biblical Christianity for um, liberal theology or self-help theology or even leaving uh, Christianity altogether, the root of that is found and that they have truly, the, the vast majority, have not understood the simplicity of what John has just wrote about. And that is the Gospel. What Christ has done. Who Christ is. What Christ has accomplished. And if we truly have our faith in that, it gives us an assurance one of the great questions that nearly every single one of these be former believers, if you will, uh, or former Christians as they call themselves, the, the sort of underlying thing that, or the, the common thing that they all say is that they look and they go, I just realized it was what someone else believed and that I just grew up with and I never really believed it myself. I had sort of the outward things that I knew to do with the emotions, but you know, it was just never my thing. You know, it just never really made sense. It never really clicked. This is a danger on those on this side and the traditionalism and those in this side of the, the sort of contemporary movement because both sides believe that they're firmly and fully right, but both sides often focus on the outward and not what's happening on the inward. The inward man must be changed before there will be a change in the outward man. And so we've got to realize that people have got to be truly born again. And if they are born again, that there is an assurance given. That's what John has given to us here. Now, I want to give you here this long list here. John uses the word no a lot. As a matter of fact, 31 times. He uses it a lot in, in the Gospel as well. And he reminds us all throughout these five chapters here. 31 times, no, 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 no. Right, and, and then all the way to 31, okay? But I gave you here 13 times where he gives us something very specific that we can know something. And these are very important things to know. So let's just work our way through here. Right? Chapter 2, verse 3. Know that you are in Him. Chapter 2, verse 3 tells us, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. We know that we know Him. Right? We know that we know Him. I don't have to guess if I know the Lord. And neither do you. If you know Him, you know Him, right? 
let's think of it this way. Uh, everyone pick someone in your family, just in your mind right now, right? It could be a spouse, it could be a, a kid, cousin, right, whatever, right? Co- second cousin twice removed. I, I, pick somebody, right, that you know. Now, I'm going to tell you, you don't know them. That person you saw, you don't know them. But do you know them? Do you know them? It's pretty simple. I'm not asking a trick question. Do you know them? How do you know that you know them, Hunter? You, because you know them, right? It's simple. You know them because you know them, right? I can tell you you don't. Here's the thing. Outward things can tell us that we don't know or that we can't know. But what God has spoken is that we can know and should know. I know Him because I know Him. Now, I've been changed by the Lord. We have been impacted by the Lord. We have seen the Lord's hand upon our life. Because if you truly know Him and are born again, are born of God, as John uses the language, you will know Him. It is deep. It is wide. It is high. It is reaching out. It is knowing the Lord. Second, chapter 2, verse 5, But whoso keepeth His word in Him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. Not only can we know that we know Him, but we can know that we are in Him. We abide in Him and He abides in us. That is now our new position. We are no longer in the world and of the world, but rather we are in Him and of Him. That now we are seated in heavenly places. That now we belong to Him. That should bring assurance. That should bring joy. That should bring a focus. That no matter what comes my way, no matter what the world may say, no matter what the Antichrist may do, no matter what false teachers may say, I know that I know Him and I know that I am in Him. And there is nothing that can change that. There is nothing that can separate. Third, he says in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come even now. Are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time? So what does he say? We know that it is the last time. Meaning, no... We can know, and you should know, that you are in the last days. Now, some people would say, well, preacher, they've been saying we're in the last days for a long time. People have been saying for a long time Jesus is going to come. Yes, because for a very long time we've been waiting for that moment and for that day, and it truly could be any moment, any day. The last days, you know how long the last days have been? Since the moment the Lord Jesus ascends, that's when the last days start. You know where they end? When He descends, right? That's it. Right? We're only beginning to see some of these things that are going to come to pass. And I want to thank the Lord that I'm not planning on being here during the Great Tribulation. I'm planning on being out of here, right? Nevertheless, I want you to know that things are going to get much, much worse even before we get to a great day of tribulation. Before we get to a little seven years of God pouring out His wrath upon the world. We are going to see things get worse. There are those who believe that they can usher in the kingdom of God and that Christians will change the world and then Jesus will come back. I want you to know Jesus tells us in His Word the opposite. It will get much worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. You know what that means? It's going to get worse. But He says don't fear. Don't look for the outward signs. Don't look for the Antichrist coming. But look for His coming. Look for Him. The last days are not about the coming of an Antichrist. The last days are not even so much about the terror of tribulation. What are the last days about? The same thing that the previous days have been about. Jesus. It's about Christ coming. So if we keep Jesus at the focus, the last days aren't so scary. As a matter of fact, they're kind of exciting. 
You know that the Lord saw through time and eternity and said, to, and this day and this hour, I'm going to have this church and this town, right? Us. He has you here and me here alive in, this, in these days for a reason. And to those who truly know Christ, these are not scary days, though physically it seems scary because they're uncertain. And uncertainty always scares our flesh. But in the Spirit, what do we have? We should have some excitement that these are the last days. And the worst thing that will ever happen to me is I'll die and go to heaven. Right? That's it. And that Jesus is coming. It is certain. He says, it is the last time. And we know that it is the last time. So let me ask you, do you know it is the last time? I hope so. Because anyone who looks around today and would say, well, you know, I don't see it. It's not that bad out there. Right? It would be like this. You're standing at your front door window, or maybe you've got your door open and the you got your, <clears throat> your screen door there, and you're standing there with your coffee, and you look out, and there's thundering and lightning, and there's a tornado with a cow <laughs> going right by your, 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 your front door there, and you're just standing there looking, and you go, well, it's not that bad out there. It's crazy, wouldn't it? You'd think it'd be insane, right? You're going to be in your bathtub, in your basement, or something somewhere else, aren't you, right? Now here, we've got to understand, when we look today at the world, it is obvious even to lost folks. Let me give you an example. There are an incredible amount of people who do not believe the Bible that we believe and hold to. And you know what they're doing? They're planning for last days. They're planning for end times. They firmly believe that several things are going to happen. And now you've got some, some crazy wackadoodle theories out there. Uh, some aliens will zap us away, right? You got that? And by the way, I, I tend to think if the rapture happens, right? It, when, the, when the rapture happens, if they got news, you know what they'll blame it on? Aliens. <laughs> they're, prep, they're planning for that, right? How about this? There's scientists right now that there are places in Antarctica, and you know what these warehouses and storage facilities have? They've got food and seeds to grow things in case there is an apocalypse. Now, why would a lost person do such? Well, you might say, well, global warming or a multitude of other things, right? And you can have those debates and arguments all you would like, but nevertheless, what is ingrained in man is knowing that what we see around us as beautiful and wonderful and uh, incredible as it is, I mean, it's awe-inspiring to see the, the world around us, and especially looking out into the cosmos, what we find, though, it's limited. It will only go for so long. To those of us, though, that are in Christ, that should not bring us fear, but that should make us full of faith. The fourth thing, in verse 20 of chapter 2, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Meaning this, you can know that you may know all things, in quotes, in the Spirit. Can you know everything that there is to know? No, because he doesn't say that. He says, but you can know all things, meaning this, all things that the Spirit teaches us from the Holy One. We have an unction from the Holy One, and you can know all things, meaning this. I, I love books. I encourage you to read books. I encourage you to read your Bible. I encourage you to study your Bible. But there is no teacher greater than the Holy Spirit. There is nothing. right? All the commentaries in the world, as much as I love commentaries and use commentaries, Right? I mean, half of this is quoted from, from resources that the Lord has allowed me to have and read and study. Nothing is as powerful of a teacher than an open Bible and a prayed-up heart 
that is trusting and asking the Spirit to teach us. And He does. There is no greater teacher than the Holy Spirit. And I believe that we've gotten to the place, unfortunately, where we have become so high-minded and so educated that we've become dumb. All right, think about this. A little bit ago, I was asked to ask the question, you know what the first thing I did was? I pulled up my phone, went on the Google, right? And what did I do? I, I found the answer. But we have a default now because we've got information overload at our fingertips, but yet we don't know a whole lot. Because if the same person that asked me a question asked me to do a simple long division problem, that, it wasn't going to happen, right? We'd be, I would have been sitting there at, for a long time. Why? Because we know a whole lot, and yet we don't know a whole lot at the same time. We have a whole lot of access to resources, and yet we miss the greatest resource that the believer has. The Holy Spirit of God. The reason why mighty men of old and women of old and revivals of old are said now to be of old is because the moment that we began thinking that we knew something outside of the Spirit of God and outside of the Word of God, or that we could, that became the moment where we started depending on those things and not the Holy Spirit. That's a sad day. And the reason why we've lost so many battles, the reason why we've lost power in churches and power in our lives and assurance in our lives is because we've stopped depending on the greatest gift that God has given to us, and that is Himself, to dwell and to indwell to seal the believer. Look at me in verse 29. <clears throat> if ye know that He is righteous. Let me ask you this. Pop quiz. Is God righteous? Yeah, that's right. You all passed. Good job. Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Why is that? Because we are born unrighteous. But when we are born again, we are declared righteous, made righteous. We have a new nature that desires righteousness into uh, allow the righteousness of God to live in us and through us and for His glory. So what do we see? That we can know that He is righteous. Therefore, I can know that He is righteous. And if I know that He is righteous, what else does that mean in implication? I know that in Christ, I am now viewed by Him as righteous. When the Lord, when the Father looks now at me, what does He see? He sees the righteousness of His Son. He does not just see someone who used to be a this or used to be a that. He only sees the precious blood of Jesus that has made us righteous. Furthermore, chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So what can we know? We know that we have passed from death to life. I don't have to question that. Because when you are born again, not only are you changed and adopted and, and given a new nature, new creature in, in Christ Jesus, but the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of His dear Son, Jesus. We have gone from that of death to life, from being blind to seeing. From, you, get the, you get the picture here? We can know that we've passed from death to life. Then in verse 19 of chapter 3, he says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Nothing assures a heart like the truth. Nothing cuts the heart like truth. But what is important here is the truth of God's Word. It does this work and we can know that we are of the truth. 
This also means that I can know when I'm not in the truth because I'm not in the truth. We can see that the world is not of the truth. Why? Because the world does not believe the truth or practice the truth. <coughs> How about chapter 4, verse 2? Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So what can we know there? We can know that we have the Spirit of God. It is unmistakable. Now, I'm not talking that you always walk around every moment of every day and you got the little tinglys on the back of your neck and you just feel all warm and fuzzy. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Most of the time we walk around, we got aches and pains and indigestion or something, right? But we, we want those moments and we should desire those moments. But know this, that even when you don't have the little tinglys on the back of your neck, do not believe that the Spirit has left abiding in you and has gone away. But rather, what we have to understand is this, that we have the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit indwells every single believer. And that same Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has not ever changed. Meaning the same Holy Spirit that John had when he wrote this letter to believers, you have as well. Does that mean that you're John? No. Does it mean that I'm John? No. Does it mean that we're Paul or Peter? No. What it does mean this, is though, is that the same God who indwelt them, indwells us today. The same God who taught them can teach us today. The same God who used them then can use us now. We find in verse 16 of chapter 4. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and and he that dwelleth in love uh, dwelleth in God and God in him. So what do we find here? Perhaps one of the most wonderful truths that there ever has been, that we can know that we are loved of God. We can know it. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you today. And if we were to truly sit and meditate on the love that God has for us, that He would send Christ to die for us, boy, do you think, as John wrote, that our joy might be full? If we thought a little bit about who God is and what He's done for us, do you think we might have maybe a few more smiles? God loves you. We must never lose sight of such. I often, and we often, get very upset at those that smile and preach only that God is love and because He's love, He'll overlook sin and all that stuff. And we ought to get upset about those false teachings. But we must never get to the place where we're so extreme that we forget that God loves you. God loves me. And I know me, and I'm pretty unlovable sometimes. Don't ask anybody else, but, but the Lord loves me, and He loves you. Praise God for such a thing. And in chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 2, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. What do we find here? We can know that we love His children. I Meaning we can know that we love the brethren. We ought to love them, but you can even know that you do. How? He says, when we love God and keep His commandments, because when I'm not walking in the Spirit and loving God and and obeying God, you know what else I'm not doing? I'm not loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what you're not doing when you're not praying, when you're not studying, when you're not being edifying, when you're not uh, volunteering, when you're not helping, when you're not giving, when you're not encouraging, right? You know what you're doing? You're showing that you don't love your brethren. You're showing that you don't love 
God's children, but even more so, you're showing how little worth you put upon the love of God in your own life. Verse 13. These things have I written unto you that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. What do we know here? That we know that we have eternal life. We know it. I know it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I have eternal life. Verse 15. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. I know that He hears me when I pray. One of the most comforting things to pray, and especially even when I don't feel like praying or have a hard time praying, is simply having the Spirit teach me and reminding me that He yet still hears me. Though at times you might feel that your prayer hits the ceiling and bounces back or that you're talking to the air, I want you to know that by faith and through the Spirit of God, He hears you when you pray. That means He answers. Maybe not always how we want, when we want, how we want, and all those things. But He hears We have confidence, trust, and such. And then verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come, and have given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We can know that Jesus has come and is true and gives eternal life. We can know it. Jesus has come. Jesus is is truth. We can know it. Just for sake of time today, we're going to go ahead and put a pause here today. Circle there. Here, I want us to have this today as we end. We don't need to be dumb, blind believers. My faith is not blind. My faith is not blind. Our prayer should not be blind. They should not be hopeless, but hopeful. Confident is the idea of hope. It's not a, well, I hope I'm right. No, why? What has he told us? We have assurance and confidence of knowing something. Let me ask you this. You ever get into a disagreement with somebody? Verbal disagreement with maybe your spouse or a loved one? Maybe even a kid or your boss, right? I'm sure nobody in this room has done such, right? Now, what happens? Why are you so willing to make that stand and that disagreement? Because I know that I'm right. Right? We'll fight for what we know we're right on. And then when we get found out that we're wrong, which happens a lot, we've got a couple options. One, accept that, repent of that, get that right. Or what do we do? We ignore it. We say, I know know I'm right. Even though everything says... I'm wrong. I'm going to just still say I'm right. What do we call that? Delusional. Crazy. Unrepentant. There's a whole lot of words for that. But what do we see? When we look at the things of God, and we look at the things of the world today, one, our heart should have assurance. We know. Therefore, because we know in the midst of all that we are facing right now, and in the midst of what we're about to be facing, and it will heat up. Trust me. Trust the Lord. He's already said it's going to heat up. 
You gotta take my word for it. Because we know, I can take a stand. And I should stand. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. What do we stand on? The word of truth. The God of truth. The truth that we know and hold dear, not because we think it, but because we know it, because God has said it and revealed it and taught it and sealed it upon our hearts. May it be said that each one of us know some things and put true faith, real faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time.